For more than 125 years, the Tucson Metro Chamber has been the voice of business. This year, the Chamber is focused on showcasing candidates that not only understand the needs of business, but will also work to introduce and support local policies that address and solve challenges businesses face. The Chamber's Candidate Evaluation Committee interviewed candidates running for Tucson Mayor and City Council on their thoughts and perspectives on issues important to the Chamber membership and creating a pro-business environment. Our Candidate Evaluation Committee, made up of business owners, executives, major employers, and community partners, crafted five questions focusing on key business issues. We invite you to visit our candidate evaluation page on our website at tucsonchamber.org, review the scorecard, listen to the interviews, read the questionnaires submitted by many of the candidates, and share with your colleagues and your neighbors who you think will support a pro-business environment in Tucson. On this episode, our candidate evaluation committee interviews Victoria Lem, a Republican running for City Council in Ward 1. Please tell us your name and the office you're running for. Running for City Council in Ward 1. Great. Briefly describe your educational and professional backgrounds and how they have prepared you to serve. Well, sure. Um, so I've grown up here in Tucson, born and raised. Uh, grew up on the south side, Ward 1. This is exactly where I live right now. My parents built their home from scratch and sent us originally to private school at Santa Cruz on 6th and 22nd Street, and then I transferred over into public school, uh, graduate of Desert View High School by way of credits from Pima Community College because I was a little disenfranchised with the high school <laughs> experience, and so I decided I was gonna go to Pima to, to and I negotiated at that young age credits from Pima to be considered for high school credit. Uh, then I didn't finish college, so that was the end of <laughs> that was the end of that. But uh, my at my work experience, I was always volunteering as a, a from youth age um, into high school and and so on. I volunteered with a company called Project Yes, which was one of the angel charities. I volunteered so long they gave me a position there at some point, but then some of the other notable positions that I had were as um, working at Raytheon Missile Systems for 11 years, about five and a half as a contractor, running a team of security personnel of 45, and then uh, left there for another contractor and came back quickly after six months and and worked as a, a full employee at Raytheon um, also running security. I was listed as an executive assistant however my main obligations there were connecting classified video teleconferences and connecting with um, calling the Hague about once a week to try to make sure that I was processing my, my people through and, and um, in charge of all of the classified documents for my program, working directly with anyone between the um, amazing catering staff to four-star generals or admirals that we would fly their flags. So I worked directly with those people in those rooms and under high-stress situations as well. 
after that, I ended up um, working a little bit um, at an, an another position at um, for about a year on a nonprofit, and then I realized that I really wanted to have more control over my income, and it really couldn't be depend. I didn't want to be dependent on anybody anymore, and so I went into real estate. And so in 2014, July, um, my anniversary is coming up. I'll be nine years with Coldwell Banker. I am a residential and commercial realtor, and um, that's what I've been. I've been doing this this entire time. Um, how it would affect uh, the position that I'm, I'm seeking, I believe because of my experience in the public, the private sector, um, the volunteer work that I've, I've done with the community over the years. I was president of uh, board, Tucson Borderlands Kiwanis Young Professionals group. We used to meet at Borderlands <laughs> Brewery. Um, but uh, I've, we helped a lot of nonprofits over the over the years. Currently, I'm I sit as the president of the Tucson Realtors Charitable Foundation, and I've been a board member there for almost eight years as well. And we also grant uh, different 501c3s in our community uh, throughout the year. So at least forty thousand dollars of grants, and then plus we host large events in order to to give to. Uh, veterans, nonprofits, um, food bank, things like that. Uh, but the way that I believe that my experience with the public, private sector, my volunteer work, it gives me a broad understanding as well as living here my entire life, seeing the changes uh, through the community. I was, as a, as a child, I watched my father run political campaigns as well. Uh, through the 60s, well, I wasn't around the 60s, but he ran political ca campaigns in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I had congressmen and, and state reps calling our, our house on the wall phone back in the day. Some of you might not remember those. <laughs> but picking up the phone and hearing that. So it's always been something that's been part of my life. I understood that um, we have a civic duty as as citizens and and. I'm in this position now because I complained a lot <laughs> and when I really sought what I needed to do next when I talked to my kids, my parents, my God, I was told I needed to stop complaining and do something. I have been given the talents, the experience from working with a broad range of people over the years customer service you know from you know from that to high-level you know marketing and and marketing myself and running a small business myself I understand what a majority of the community needs and I know what my family needs I know what business small business owners need I know what large business owners need as a commercial realtor I see it all the time and the delays here so I think that that would be what I could bring to this table. Thank you very much. Thanks. Sorry. don't know if that was long-winded or mm -hmm. not. Describe your vision for the city of Tucson and the office you're running for. That will probably make me cry. But growing up here uh, in the 80s, you know, into the 90s, we saw, into the 90s, we saw a lot of crime. We saw a huge wave of, of you know, 
gangs and things coming to our community and and I had a lot of um, you know first-hand experience with people like you know in that were part of those in my neighborhood I grew up at 12th and Valencia we saw a lot of murders that was one of the highest murder um, locations in in our town aside from Campbell and Irvington and as people grew up out of those neighborhoods they moved on a lot of you know the small younger families had you know was more older people hanging out in, in their homes and and not so much the, the gang members we cleaned it up it was so much cleaner there was so much it was easier to walk out on the street as a teenager I saw, just walking down Valencia, I saw a man run across the street with a knife in his back. That's not what I want now. That's what's happening right now, unfortunately. In my neighborhood, not too long ago, two weeks ago, I left my home to go to a speaking engagement, and I saw a man running across four lanes of travel. I had to stop because he ran right in front of my vehicle, and two cops chasing after him with long guns and cop cars coming the opposite direction towards me, chasing this guy into my neighborhood. I had to call my children and say, please don't open the door because it was one block away from my home. I had to, I had to call them and say, don't open the door even if, even if you hear anything, don't even, if you need to go to throw the garbage, don't go. If you hear anything, call the police. I'll be watching the security cameras as well. And unfortunately, that's not an uncommon occurrence. That this was a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. I've seen the changes in my community, and they haven't always been for the better. There, we I see people, groups like you guys, that are improving our community. But my vision for this community is to return it to something that we can be proud of. I remember for a, for a time growing up that I wanted to leave as much as possible. Those teenage years, seeing all the gangs and the crime, I couldn't wait to grow up to leave Tucson. And as I got older and things started changing a little bit and, and, and those, the crime was reduced, I loved it. I fell in love with Tucson. I started traveling and I started realizing Tucson is beautiful. It's my home. And it's something that I really want to continue to stay and enjoy and raise my family as well. My parents are 92 and 79, and I want to see them retire happy and not afraid to go out and hang out in their yards, not being robbed, their their sheds constantly being robbed in, in the past. And I, I just want them to have a good remainder of their life. And I also want my children to have a place, an opportunity, a choice to stay. Right now, I don't feel like we have the choice. We as a commercial and, and residential realtor, people ask me all the time, you see all over the city, you show properties, you show you know everything. Why don't you move out of your community? Move somewhere safer. And unfortunately, you know, I thought about it for so long. I thought about moving my, my parents out. But what I realized more is that I need to stay and I need to save it and I need to make a difference there because if I leave it, the, my, my community members, my neighbors are still stuck with that. And now at this point, when I consider listening to this police scanners, listening to all these, where would I move? It's gone everywhere. It's, it's 
I unfortunately I say sometimes I see it circling the drain and I don't want that anymore. I want to return it to something that we can be proud of. Public safety and issues around crime, homelessness, and the fentanyl crisis are major concerns that we hear frequently from chamber members. Do you think that the city is currently doing enough or does the city need to be more involved in addressing these issues? And if the city is not doing enough, what more should the city specifically be doing? Well, I think that if the city was doing enough, we wouldn't be in a position for it to be a main priority to, to make changes. If it was enough, then we wouldn't be here looking to, to seek to replace people on this council. I'd be very happy. I don't want to run. I don't want to be in this position. I thought I would just grow up and just, and, and just appreciate the amazing people in charge and you know root them on and vote for the right people and and this would all this would all be a beautiful Tucson utopia but it doesn't work like that as as an adult you see when you make decisions and you implement them there's consequences and the consequences of what has been happening with our Tucson City Council is more of an enablement of a lot of the things that are happening in our community instead of, a, a, of an attempt to reduce them. I see, I talk to Tucson Crime Free Coalition twice a week at least to hear about things that are happening in, that, in the community and how they hadn't been, um, their their requests have not been addressed. I've talked to police officers and sheriffs and the stress that they, they have and, and the not hearing and understanding, having that knowledge of those, of the stresses that can be changed by the, the mayor and city council. And I don't understand why those th things haven't been implemented, why those changes haven't been, been made, why why these things haven't been addressed, or is it, and it hasn't been communicated. I learned recently that they had listened to some of the Tucson Crime Free Coalition, but that's just in the last week or so. There was an op-ed put out by, the, by um, several different people, you know, council members, board of supervisors, you know, the, um, I think it was the, uh, the city attorney, put out an op-ed and said, we have listened, we're going to do some things and we haven't communicated properly, but why has it taken this long and now into an election year to really say, hey, we are going to communicate what we are doing and we know that this is a problem and we're making it a priority. Up until this point, we've allowed things to happen. In my ward, I had, we had Esteban Park, which was ruled by homelessness, open, open use drug, um, open drug use there. I even had officers say they're using drugs right in front of me and I can't make that arrest because I know when I take them in it's going to take three hours to process and then they're going to be walking down the sidewalk the moment I pull out of that parking lot anyway. It just continues to happen. They're not given the authority in order to change those things. So if they have been doing enough, if they think they've been doing enough, I think the citizens and you and I see it every single day that it's not. It's not enough. There, there need, there's not one answer. As I've dug into all of this, it's got to be a multifaceted approach. There's so many different things that need to happen, but 
it seems like they're just now saying, oh, we should clean up this park. We should make things better. We should do these things because in a couple months there's a primary. And then a couple more months there's a general election. And they, the choices that they've made have gotten us to this point. In your opinion, how does the Planning and Development Services Department play a role in economic development in Tucson's ability to attract and retain businesses and employers? What are you hearing about the state of PDSD right now? Well, I'm not just hearing about it, I'm experiencing it, right? I'm, as a commercial realtor, I represent lots of different businesses coming to, to Tucson two weeks ago. No, less than two weeks ago, I lost a deal because we didn't have a, a, a certificate of occupancy. I worked on that deal for three months and and that company coming from California to bring in, because for some reason we're getting just an, I'm getting an infiltration of, of leads from lots of different areas for to open uh, outpatient counseling centers. Are you, I'm guessing you're seeing the same thing. It's a huge, we need it, absolutely. I just don't know what opened those floodgates, but that's happening. And a lot of those places need certificate of occupancy in order to, to open their doors and stay open. Unfortunately, the unit that I had, you know, 3,000 square feet plus, it had a little bit of changes and into you know the architecture. We had a great architect that is very familiar with with uh, the process uh, for with our zoning and all of these things. Right, of course, they knew the process. They said it's going to at least take another two months. We've already worked on it for three, and we got to the point where we we're ready to sign the lease, and that's what they really needed. And they ended up going with another office that had already had um, a certificate of occupancy in place. So that changed that unit for that landlord. That changed it for my income. It changed it for the people that they were going to serve in that area. Yes, they found a place, but they should have options. And they shouldn't be told that it could take another two months for review and for this small change. They made these changes in November. I know you've been talking to, to different business owners that have waited. I talked to one business owner that said that he waited um, four months for a demo permit, which normally would take him one day. He's used to flipping commercial real estate. He owns several different businesses in, in Tucson, and he waited four months just to get those demo permits. That keeps that building vacant it attracts not the greatest people that want to either destroy it or whatever it's just vacant it doesn't look good we don't it doesn't look good when we have plywood up on on doors and windows waiting for businesses to come in these delays cause us to um, not have not have good paying jobs right away it's delaying that it's delaying progress it's delaying them purchasing products and and equipment and and bringing more uh, bringing more more to our economy in that time frame and I just feel like I guess it's not really a feel because 
um, more facts than feelings kind of person. The facts are we have a lot of red tape and it is not, it's not indicative of Tucson wanting to do business with outside people and, and continue the, those relationships with the businesses that we currently have. Because those businesses need to change, they need to expand, they need to grow, and we need to make it more accessible for our, our small business owners, our uh, outside businesses. Right now we're not showing us business friendly. I've got one lead from one of these places. I didn't even put him in his spot, but he's sent me five other people. And a lot of those people, as they're seeing the delays in, in their certs of occupancy and different, and different um, permits that they're requesting, they're starting to look in Phoenix. I'm having to refer people out to Phoenix because they're finding it easier to get, and we can't do that. That's, that's undermining our own selves. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. We need to be a community that is attracting good businesses for our, for our community members to have good paying jobs. And that needs to happen quickly because otherwise the word, the word gets out. We're not friendly to businesses and they'll choose somewhere else. What do you perceive to be the three biggest challenges and issues facing the business community? And if elected, how do you plan to keep a pulse on the issues that businesses are facing? Well, I, I, I think I would continue in real estate, so I would, I would stay knowledgeable of what was happening in our business community as well. I think um, when three of the biggest issues that we're facing right now is our crime rate. Um, we have businesses that are, I went, I went to go show one of my units and there was a lady asleep on the sidewalk and I asked her to move on because I'm showing this unit, doesn't look so great, right? But then I talked to the barber shop that's right in back of her and I asked, are you having these issues here? How, how frequent? What do you do about it? I communicate with our business owners all the time, even if I'm just showing, you know, in our strip malls, I just go and talk to all of them and see what's happening, see what we can do to make things better. Unfortunately, they say this happens. We had, we turned on the car alarm, tried to wake her up. We asked her to move on. If we call the police, they can't, they don't respond. What do we do? And they said, we come, we come here every day and we have foil and needles and all of these things left over here. It's not safe. And right behind them in that particular business is a school. And I had another business owner tell me that he comes in early to walk up and down that sidewalk to try to make sure he's picking up all of these things because he's come later and he's seen kids chasing each other with needles. This is, we don't have, we're not holding people accountable for what they're doing and then they're destroying themselves, unfortunately, and our community. And it, it also causes other businesses to not want to plant themselves here because we don't have the response. Right now, we don't have enough uh, pol police staff. We don't have enough first responders. They're responding to priority one calls only. And we don't have that community policing that we were promised so long ago. The ones that are coming into our businesses and talking and developing relationships with those businesses, asking what they're seeing, 
what's happening out there, talking to our, our schools, and, and, and we need to get that back. So that is one of the, the biggest things. I think when we do that, we can attract other businesses here, attract high, good paying jobs, we'll have people that have great income, they can purchase homes, they develop roots here, they want to start other businesses themselves. We have big businesses that are helping to help with our taxes and <laughs> improve our streets. Our streets are so uncared for right now. It's so difficult to just navigate around just bouncing off the road. I had to switch cars <laughs> because my other car had low profile wheels and I cracked so many of those. I had to keep repairing them. It's wild. So I had to transition to a different car that wasn't didn't have nice wheels <laughs> and nice tires. And and then for my daughter, I bought her a small SUV because at 16 she's going to have to navigate all of this and I'm not as concerned about her her driving, I'm concerned about potholes hitting, hitting these or swerving. We can't swerve out when we've got amazing cyclists using our streets and things like that. It's the, the streets are terrible and the infrastructure needs to be developed because if we don't have that, again, we can't attract those businesses to our community. And it, it's all this snowball effect, right? If we're, we're not taking care of um, our citizens and protecting them, we're, we can't attract and keep our citizens, keep attract and keep businesses, and then we can't keep the taxes from coming in to help further it. So you can either go one way or the other. And right now I feel like we're, we're going into the negative. You mentioned that public safety issues, homelessness, and crime will require a multifaceted approach. What would it look like to start getting there? What are some actionable items that you can see happening? So I have, you know, unfortunately, many of us, not, not just me, not just people from the South Side or different parts of town, many of us have family members that have struggled with substance abuse. Um, and I'm, I'm not, um, un unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm not immune to that. Our family isn't immune to that. So we have firsthand knowledge of, of these experiences, calling 911, watching people have to get resuscitated, watching people have to struggle with the the addiction and and the need for for counseling, need for you know just intense counseling to get them back on their feet, giving them that direction and in order. That's not everyone, right? We do have lots of um, homelessness, but we have a, a huge spectrum. I have a son that's on, on the spectrum as well, and in, in the autism spectrum, but we, in the homelessness um, area, I believe that we have a wide variety of people um, experiencing homelessness as well. It could be the single mom who couldn't make her, her rent and needs a place to stay with her children, and it's a, sh a short term, she wants to get you know, get into um, a different environment and has that desire. There's no drug addiction, there's no crimes being committed. And then we have all the way on the other side, we've got people that, um, that unfortunately make that choice, that's how they want to live. This is what they, they want to do. And so from all of that, there isn't 
obviously one answer. Like I said, it, it needs to be a multifaceted approach and you have to meet them where they are in that process. The people who want to get help, the people that want to um, seek services, and we need to pair up with, like I, we pair up all the time with 501c3s. Our Tucson community is, if we have nothing, we've got nonprofits out there to do <laughs> to do amazing work and we they have been on the ground for years we have gap ministry grm we've got so many other uh, there's countless different areas to help battered women battered men you know just so many different things and and i do my part to help with that as well but we need to come alongside of them, not try to recreate the wheel. We need to understand what they're doing and how the city can help them and and move them forward to you know broaden their horizons, take in more people, give um, give more um, give more um, services, provide those services. Because I think there's a disconnect between um, where they are and where some of these these locations are and how they can help them. So I think we need to help bridge that gap. And um, what level of accountability do you feel the city and county attorney have toward the crime and homelessness that we are seeing? And how would you address those issues? So my understanding is that some of the the judges and the the county attorneys are they're appointed and so they make those decisions on who who is responding and how they're responding right now what i'm understanding from several police officers or state troopers that i that i know um, or that have approached me as well to give me information is that they're bringing in someone on 20 charges and they're getting released on two and some of these things are not sticking um, they're they're going out and reoffending again. They're rearresting them five, six, seven times, sometimes in the same areas. So, um, and they're not being held accountable. They're letting them go right back out. They're heading to pretrial services and right back out the, the back door. And when when you're arresting somebody that is high on drugs or you know in, in this 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 type of um, situation, the they're in there for a couple hours and the next thing that they want to do is get their next hit and they don't have any money when they're released they don't have any place to go but they're going to have to find that somewhere so a lot of them unfortunately are committing crimes and and stealing around the neighborhoods that they're they live in or or where they're released from in order to get that money to get that next and so it doesn't even give them a shot holding them for two to three hours is not enough if we are if we um, a lot of people say we can't arrest our way into sobriety, but you've got to give them a shot. If they're held for a long enough period, that that drug is no can't take over their system for 15, 30 days. They can start detoxing, and then start. That's when you start making good decisions because when you're afflicted by that drug, and you have, and you, you're just going from hit to hit you can't really reason, you can't make those decisions. It's very difficult. I've, unfortunately, like I said, I've seen family members do that and we have to give them a chance. Thank you, Victoria. 
Thank you so so much again for coming in. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, it went very quickly. <laughs> I have a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and thank you again for stepping up to want to serve our community. And, thank you. Uh, for wanting to run for office. We really appreciate it. Yeah, there is, there is no want. There's only a I have to. <laughs>